0: are the Hollywood elites who are on record saying that the writers and actors on strike should starve and lose their houses. How are they gonna turn around and give them this little gold statuette and say, great job. Like there's a disconnect there and there has always been a disconnect. And I think it's really, really, really worth knowing about or at the very least kind of acknowledging as you watch the Oscars.
1: Hello and welcome to America A History Podcast. I'm your host Liam Heffernan and every week we answer a different question to understand the people, the places and the events that have shaped the USA into the country it is today. This week, as the who's who of entertainment descend on Hollywood for the glitziest night on the calendar, I want to know if anyone still cares about film awards. And when viewing figures continue to decrease, why do they still generate so many headlines? As I ask, are the Oscars still relevant? And to discuss this, I'm joined by Vaughn Joy, a PhD candidate at UCL, studying mid-century Hollywood politics and their cross-section through a case study on Christmas films. Uh, hi, Vaughn.
0: Hi, Liam. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Thank you. Um, it's great to have you on the podcast. And At some point, we need to unpack the whole Christmas film thing, um, because Mm. I love that. Uh, (laughs) But Me too. Yeah, well, I I should (laughs) hope. I should hope. But today is all about the Oscars, which, you know, weirdly, um, there is a a distinct absence of Christmas films. Maybe that's a podcast episode, Mm. but still, not one for today. Today, we're going to look a little bit more broadly at the Academy Awards, um, how they came to be. Uh, and some of the real kind of talking points and controversies that have kind of plagued it a bit in recent years. So how did the Oscars even come to be a thing? And and kind of how did they gain the prestige they now have today? So
0: um, when we're talking the Oscars, we're really talking the Academy. So I think the, the more important question is, how did the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences come about? And that story has lots of very theatrical kind of stories behind it um the one that is kind of most told and most telling is that louis b Mayer was terrified of the unions and he he wanted this beach house made for himself and to do so he was going to exploit the laborers at his studio mgm in 1926 but the head of the studio laborers said that they were about to sign their contract with Yahtzee, the studio crew Mm. labor union. So mayor just instead hired a couple of them and then a lot of cheap laborers and got his house done in like record timing, probably illegally. But he had in mind then that if the carpenters and electricians and the set builders could unionize, then the, ones that really cost money the actors and the directors and the writers and producers then they could also unionize and he was absolutely terrified of this and went to all of his other elite cronies the studio heads and said we need to kind of form an alliance and trick our quote unquote talent into thinking that they are valued here so that they don't want to unionize and we'll we'll tell them that our little committee is there for their best interest and wants to set the standards for the industry to resolve disputes kind of jovially and as a family without needing any lawyers to get involved and no union representatives, um, no any official formulation of Mm. protection for Mm. the workers in Hollywood. So in 1927, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences had their first banquet in January, and thus the academy was born.
1: Yeah, and I find it um, I find it quite funny that 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 Mayer sort of circumvented the unions by basically trying to start a union because yeah. there's not much difference, right? He just wanted to be the head of it.
0: He just wanted to be the head. And um, historian Peter Decherney said that the the AMPAS was promoting itself as an option to not unionize. Like they were trying to be the regulator, but really it ended up just being the defense, the union for the studio heads, Mm -hmm. like kind of the HR where they're protecting the company, not the actual workers there, Uh, which is really interesting that we think of the Academy as this elite group of all of these amazing artists and filmmakers and the Scorseses and the Spielbergs. But really it's kind of a... Kind of just a protection agency, or at least it started out as a protection agency for the studio heads.
1: Yeah, and I I have a lot of thoughts about the the membership and the rules of the academy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's it's very flawed. It's it, and it, it started and it still is to a large extent today just built on cronyism, right? You you invite your mates, um, who then nominate their mates who are then eligible to be invited. It just, it's just, it's a big old kind of circular system that kind of the the, the people at the top constantly get revalidated. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) But um, I I am really keen to understand how, because of, you know, it was formed as a response to the unions and it was formed for very kind of commercial reasons, really. Um, Mm -hmm. Louis May protecting his interests. And, and yet the Oscars have kind of grown over the next kind of 96 years into the most prestigious film awards, perhaps even any award in the world. How does that happen? How do you how how do you go from one dinner in 1927 to like what the Oscars are today?
0: So it's a really great question, and a lot of people have tried to answer that, us two included. <laughs> um, and I think One answer is that you said it at the top, it's the glitziest night. Hollywood has prestige in itself. It is glitz and glamour. And that hadn't always been the case. That was partly another reason for creating the Academy was to address kind of public scandals about Individuals in Hollywood and the public perception that Hollywood as a whole was starting to gain as a place where there were these wealthy, beautiful people, these playboys who were just kind of doing whatever they wanted, whether kind of morally or not. It was seen as this kind of hole of degenerates out in California. And Mayer, as you said, was protecting his assets. And and one of his other reasons for the academy was to fix. The public perception. So, that I think is definitely what it ended up doing is creating the idea of like golden age Hollywood, of all of the stars in their finest jewelry and gowns, in their furs, coming out to accept these golden awards. Like, it looks beautiful and powerful and important. And for a long time, I think that really was the kind of view that people had or wanted to have of Hollywood as it was progressing through kind of tumultuous eras of American history.
1: Yeah. And there's always been a kind of escapism about, about yeah. cinema um, and the Oscars. I I guess you'd expect like the film industry and the entertainment industry to know how to put on a show, but that's, mm. that the Oscars are like the, the pinnacle of that. They know how to turn heads and Really, the only reason that the Oscars gain traction is because people watch. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's easy to forget nowadays that back when the Oscars started, few people even had a TV. The only way to see something on a screen was to go to a a cinema. That was the general public's exposure to celebrities and to Mm -hmm. to stars. Um, Movie stars then being kind of the only cultural celebrities or figures of influence really of their time standing up all together saying the Oscars are great, you know, we love the Oscars, there's this blah mm-hmm. blah blah. It gives it credibility because they're saying it, but they also have a vested interest in the Oscars. But people just kind of buy into it. You know, I it's it it just it feels like it was just kind of a big marketing stunt that's really taken off.
0: So it totally is. It's like one of the best propaganda machines. <laughs> like best respected propaganda machines in the country and it really did work i i we will get to the question later but i don't know if it still does today but at the time for sure and it, so the first one was held in 1929 um so no one would have had a tv at that point all of it was done by radio broadcast and um, releases in the newspaper about who had won the awards and whatnot so that's, that's a real question of why did people care before there was TV, <laughs> like before it was something mm. that you could bring into your home, I think is a really good question. And uh, another layer to how Hollywood legitimized itself. So one of the um, members or people present, at least, at the original dinner in 1927 of the AMPAS was Fred Beetson who was a member of the um, Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America organization, which was headed by Will Hayes and ultimately became the Hayes office. So that in itself was the marketing kind of department for Hollywood. And also the morality regulator. Some people will know the Hayes code as the kind of regulatory Morality clauses and guidelines for Hollywood filmmakers to follow. The Hayes Code starts in 1930, and then the more well known one is 1934. But in 1927, there was the list called Don'ts and Be Carefuls for Hollywood filmmakers. And there was also an earlier one from Hayes in 1924. But we're like right in that era of Hollywood deciding what its public perception was going to be. And ultimately by 30 and 34, it becomes a draconian kind of puritanical list of quite white supremacist things that are guidelines of censorship for Hollywood. But we can we can see that Hollywood right at that point is making a very concerted effort to decide how the public is going to perceive them. There wasn't really a standard idea of what Hollywood was prior to that, because it just wasn't that big. And mm. as you say, you either went to a cinema in a city or you waited for a road show to come to you. There wasn't really a, a vast idea of what the movies were or what cinema was in a grand scale as there is now. So in the late 20s, Hollywood deciding once and for all, we need to get on top of this propaganda and our perception and creating the awards and saying, full chested saying, we are classy, we recognize the best of the best. Even across studio lines, there was a real concern that the studios would just that anyone in Hollywood would just vote for their own studio as they were contracted to them. So by saying, look, like we, we will even nominate other studios for their work if it is exceptional, like trying to get across this view of Hollywood as a united force that respected the arts and could be high culture and something to respect, I think was a really, really smart move and a very effective one.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's clearly value in sort of them taking charge of their own perception. Um, mm-hmm. And the Oscars was an opportunity for them to define who they were and and what they were. And I guess that's, that's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you create yeah. that image of yourself, people believe that, and then you're you're kind of empowered to embody that very thing that you claimed you were, even if you weren't when you first said it. And I, it kind of brings me on to the politics of the Oscars because, you know, I, I think when we look behind the curtain, not just at uh, the films that are nominated and won, and, you know, behind just the kind of the competition at the face of it, and we look at the production of the awards and the promotion of the awards and the sort of the systems that sit behind that, the Academy is about more than just film, isn't it? There's lo- there's other power dynamics at play, right?
0: Definitely. As, as you had said about the cronyism and who can actually be a member, it's a very wide list. They try to pretend that it's not, but it's most people as long as... You, have, you can justify some connection to film and you have two sponsors from the category that you want to be a part of. So there are the standard ones like actor and director and writers, producers, whatever. But then there's other categories that are a little more vague that include like entertainment lawyers and agents and mm-hmm. managers, marketers. Like anyone who has any sort of connection to a film could really be part of the Academy. And that is questionable at Mm -hmm. at best but i i think i don't know if that's necessarily changed over time i think it has always been designed to be the elites and their cronies mayor said that the point of the awards was to give the the talent their kind of breadcrumbs and as long as you told them they were doing a good job they would make whatever type of film's that the studio heads wanted to make. So then you had the audience, the general American audience, and also the Academy as two distinct groups for your audience that you were making mm-hmm. a film for. And there are definitely some films, especially in the 21st century, that you can point to and say, this was made as Oscars bait and not anything else. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It was not mm-hmm. made for the general audience. So I, I don't know that it's ever really been about just films. I think it's always been much more integrated into Hollywood politics, Hollywood business, wider politics. There was a Um, whole issue with the foreign language category during the blacklist era and the early cold war with fears of giving a film to a communist filmmaker, or sorry, an award to a communist filmmaker. Like there's always so much more at play with anything dealing with Hollywood, but definitely, especially the Oscars.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think, Again, it kind of comes down to that kind of exercise in the Oscars, sort of Hollywood's platform to tell the rest of the world what it is and what it Mm -hmm. stands for. And that becomes really apparent in some of the films that win or don't win Oscars. So I think there's a lot of kind of underlying politics and sort of systems of power that, that feed into the Oscars. But I think at face value, when you just look at the films that win, that tells us a lot about what is going on you know Mm -hmm. uh, further down like uh, as you say there are films that are made purely to run for oscars that are are, are made as that sort of awards bait and that says a lot about kind of the studio system and like the the sort of the funding mechanisms that that go into all of that but there's also examples of people winning awards where the academy are taking a pretty clear stand um, ideologically. For instance, Mm. Roman Polanski, he won Best Director um, in, uh, was it the early noughties for uh, The Pianist? Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, he was exiled. So America has already said, like, this guy's a criminal. Uh, If you don't know what he's done, look it up. That's not something I want to go into right now. But the guy was exiled. And yet, the Academy collectively still decided that he was deserving of an award he was he was worth being held up and put on a pedestal and saying this is a this is a guy that we should celebrate and that brings me on to questions of 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 true kind of impartiality in film awards because when the oscars are that political and when there is a lot of uh, of stuff going on underneath and when they when they are used to to really define an industry Um, and a value system that supports that industry. When they give an award to someone like Roman Polanski, what does that say and what message are they giving? So
0: my work especially deals a lot with the idea of impartiality and objectivity with film. And my short answer is that just doesn't exist. It's impossible. (laughs) Mm. A longer form is that any film is open to interpretation by the audience. And... When we look at something like the Blacklist era and them trying to nail down, like, this person's a communist and is putting communism in their films kind of thing. Like, that's one interpretation um, of it. And most of the time it's wrong. And there is a real dearth of communist ideology in any film from the 40s or 50s. But the conversations that came out of HUAC, the House Committee on Un-American Activities that was investigating Hollywood for communist activity and communism in their films, the the conversations around that are about, like, how can we actually judge a film unless it is openly saying, like, communism's great and we should all do communism. Like, that, no filmmaker is going to do that um, if that isn't a commentary on other meta kind of things. So... I think the idea of objectivity is, is just impossible, especially when you are dealing with an art form such as film. I do think that the Oscars like to say that they are nonviolent and they are impartial and that film can be, you can decide what the best picture is by asking 30 people or whatever. And that is probably part of their whole propagandistic kind of drive of having the awards. But there are these examples, like you say, of Roman Plansky and then Elia Kazan in 99. They gave Elia Mm -hmm. Kazan an honorary award after Kazan had named names to HUAC and ruined people's lives, absolutely Mm -hmm. ended their careers. And the Academy thanked Elia Kazan and said, what an amazing life and dedication to Hollywood you had. Like, those are messages that show that the Academy are elitist and are not yeah. really in touch with the actual people working in Hollywood the people who have been harmed by other people's actions within yeah. the industry and then they still give them an award
1: yeah and i think this is this is kind of where my issue stems from is that you go back to the blacklist era and they're choosing they're choosing to say we're denying these films and these filmmakers an opportunity not just mm-hmm. for an award but to work in the industry at all because yeah. of their political beliefs or or supposed political beliefs mm-hmm. and then fast forward a few decades you've got people like Roman Polanski who are, who are also being given oscars um and it's like that separation between uh, the art and the artist applies when they want it to yes but when they want to send a message they do like mm-hmm. they're very aware of the platform they have and it feels like they hide behind this this a uh, shield of impartiality when it's a bit too controversial for them.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think a, a great recent example is about Will Smith and how mm. Will Smith is now banned for a decade for slapping Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars. And they took this stand saying, "We are nonviolent and we have always been nonviolent." And it's like, I don't, I don't think you know what that word means because mm. <laughs> you have upheld. Weinstein and have not taken his Oscars back, even as a nominal thing, to just say yeah. he doesn't have these anymore, he doesn't get these accolades, no. or that any number. John Wayne, John Wayne, has so many ties to the academy, and he's a terrible person. So, like <laughs> and there are countless other, countless other examples that we could point to. So I think that really gets into some of the other controversies around the Academy and the Oscars that have been coming up in recent years, not to yeah. jump forward onto your next question, but about kind of diversity and inclusion and how equal are the Oscars even trying to be, even feigning to be? I don't yeah. think very equal or diverse or inclusive at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that because representation has been a big issue at the Oscars mm-hmm. and it's tended to focus along gender lines particularly you know the the, the best director category always gets highlighted for its lack of inclusion of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of women and I have a bit of an issue over 2010 and The Hurt Locker because I actually um, I actually think as a directorial feat I think Avatar was clearly the bigger accomplishment and I I I think it's almost an insult to Catherine Bigelow that they gave it to her, in my opinion, again, because industry politics were at play and, oh, wouldn't it be great if we give the first Best Director Oscar to a woman who just so happens to be the ex-wife of the favourite in that category? You know, she's she's still winning an award based on her definition Mm -hmm. in relation to one of the other men in the category. I don't like it. And that's, that's still a real problem at the Oscars, you know it's still run by a bunch of old white men mm-hmm. and women get recognition when the Academy feel they need to recognise them, not because the systems are in place to genuinely reward them.
0: I I fully agree with that. And I would just add that the people voting on the awards don't actually have to watch the films. And yeah. really, there's no way they could. Like the, the list for best picture... To n- nominate for Best Picture this year is almost 270 films. No one's going to have seen all of them, and that already is a question of the uh, the equality inclusion of the Oscars because it's really it really comes down to what did you have opportunity to see, what was had the largest marketing budget, all of that, and then in terms of representation and everything, we know that Hollywood has a problem with hiring women, especially women of color, and any minorities of any community, Hollywood is not great at. It's mm. not great at hiring them, not great at paying them. So we're aware of that already. If that is the problem in Hollywood, then the Academy can't fix it. And the Academy isn't trying to fix it. I don't want to give them credit for doing that, but we can't We can't say that the Academy is inclusive if the entire industry is not.
1: Mm. Are the Academy to blame? Are the Academy just um, the holding up a mirror to the rest of, of the industry? And, and, and are the problems a little bit deeper rooted than that? You know, is it about creating the opportunities for marginalized groups to succeed in the industry, which when they do, they can then be rewarded mm-hmm. um, at that level with an Oscar? Yeah.
0: So I think in the same way that Hollywood is the least simple thing of Anything you could talk about Hollywood is probably one of the most complicated things, um, especially in industry discussions. So it's cyclical, right? Because when a film wins an Oscar, then the studio heads and the producers are like, oh, people liked that film. Let's make more films like that. So if a film like Everything Everywhere All at Once that has such a predominantly non-white cast does as well as it did last year... The logical kind of progression from that is that we will have more representation in films from that success. So Mm. the Oscars definitely plays a role in the inequality in Hollywood and the inequality in Hollywood plays a role in the lack of representation in the Oscars. So I think both can do better and should do their parts to do better. And the Oscars and the Academy aren't free of that. They know that they could do better and they know As you say, like, when they need to for the public perception of Hollywood to maintain a positive in the public's mind, when they need to praise a woman or a person of color or an LGBTQ person, like, they will just to save face and gain some favor. But when that's used as a propaganda tool, it's not actual representation or equality or inclusion. And they're aware of that. So... I do think it's cyclical. I think it's both and, and the Academy definitely needs to do significantly better in terms of vetting their membership, making sure people actually watch films (laughs) that they're voting on and not just honoring or prioritizing the films that can afford to campaign for Oscar season Mm. and get on people's radar.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, just to, um, just to give some um, context around the kind of eligibility criteria here Mm. to be eligible for consideration for the Oscars, you have to have screened in a, in a cinema, a physical cinema for, is it seven, seven days Um, in LA, not even anywhere in the world in LA. Mm -hmm. um or maybe maybe new york now as well i but it definitely used to be just la but that that's incredibly limiting criteria that means that you know of the the many thousands of films that are made around the world every year the academy can only possibly um even consider recognizing a tiny subset of that and because of that, i I think maybe you know the Oscars have never rewarded the best film ever made in in a single year because how how can they possibly know? Um, yeah, and this kind of brings me on to a, a kind of side question, which is that can any awards ever be truly impartial and 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 should they be criticized for that?
0: I don't think any awards can be impartial. and they they certainly can't watch every film or vet every performance or the the many many criteria and categories they they can't they just cannot there's not enough time in a year to be able to do that for especially for every single person voting Hmm. i do think that we can critique it not necessarily slam them for every decision that is made but i think we can definitely critique it and try to find better ways of honoring films and the crews who make them and the actors and everyone behind a film that is genuinely more reflective of the work that goes into the films. And also uh, transparent about the fact, like it's not the best picture of the year. Mm -hmm. It's the picture that the most people on the list had seen and enjoyed. And that's a different thing (laughs) from proclaiming it to be the best picture of the year. Um, I think that is also part of Hollywood's kind of narcissism and American narcissism and the idea of American exceptionalism coming in and creeping into the Oscars. But I think there could be more acknowledgement of what the actual Academy is, who the membership is, how these films are voted on, and less kind of reverence for just following what this group of elites have to say.
1: Yeah. I agree. And I think transparency is really one of the 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 key things there, because I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's possible for any, um, let's just look specifically at film awards. It, it's not possible for a single film award to recognise um, objectively the single best film um, of the mm-hmm. year, the single best direction of the year, because that's a monumental feat that we couldn't expect anyone to possibly um, do. But yeah, I think it's about just being really open and honest with what your process is. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and in doing that, kind of in acknowledging your bias, you're acknowledging the kind of the the perspective on which you're judging and giving your awards. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Oscars are not the kind of arbiter of quality. They're just kind of sitting there in their little niche um, the same way that every other awards is. Um, they're just doing it with more money.
0: Fully agree. Fully agree. And I I think one thing that you said there is a really strong thing. And I would add that they're also not the arbiters of culture. And Mm. I think we fall into that trap a lot of thinking, oh, it's the best picture of the year. This is what all of the films were like. And this is what people liked that year. Like the apartment winning best picture in 1960. That is a radical film and it's wild. It won best picture. But Like that is not really reflective of the wider kind of releases from that year. Like that's the year of like Spartacus and Exodus. Like it's not the only, the Academy is not the only and definitive kind of list of the important films from a year. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a, that's an important reminder. And it might sound nitpicky to say that it shouldn't be quote unquote best picture, but what's wrong with outstanding picture of the year or like, Mm what's what's wrong with something else that that still acknowledges that exceptional work was done for the film community for the film sciences for culture all of these other categories like it doesn't have to be such a definitive hard this is the best picture and this is what the culture was like in that year and it's Mm. it's just a very narrowing misleading connotation in my opinion that again falls down to who had the most money to promote, in a lot of circumstances.
1: Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. I think the wording is everything, and and mm-hmm. you know, best is uh, su- is a very suggestive term to use. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there, there's, uh, I mean, you gave the example of you know, outstanding picture, which is one of many variables that they could use mm-hmm. on awards that, that that don't kind of. I think best is very much is a very definitive statement. It's saying we're recognizing objectively the single best film of the year. And, mm-hmm. and, and 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 they're just not, but they want to, they want to be seen as doing that. Don't they? Yes. And that's the point.
0: Yeah. They, they want to be the arbiters of culture. And that was really what the Hayes committee was doing or the, mm. the Hayes office and deciding what Americans could and could not see. And what Louis B. Mayer saying, if you give them awards, then they'll do whatever you want. Like That is the kind of mentality that started the awards in the first place. And I think Mm. it's important to remember that when we still watch them, this is the 96th, 96 years later, we should be aware of these connections to like anti-labor issues. And especially with the strikes that we had last year in Hollywood, how is, how are the Hollywood elites who are on record saying that the writers and actors on strike should starve and lose their houses, how are they going to turn around and give them this little gold statuette and say, great job? Like, there's a disconnect there, and there has always been a disconnect. And I think it's really, really, really worth knowing about, Mm. or at the very least, kind of acknowledging as you watch the
1: Oscars. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I I think... uh, we're living in such a different time now, um, to when the Oscars were first started. And this is kind of drawing us towards the 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 point of this episode, I mm. guess. But you know, nowadays the Oscars can't really be the arbiter of, of of culture to use your term in a way that they were 90 odd years ago mm-hmm. because we're living in an age where Information can be disseminated a, a lot easier, opinions can be shared a lot freer. Mm-hmm. You know, social media means that um and just having being in a global digital world mm-hmm. in, in a world that was so incomprehensible when the Oscars were started, just means that people can share opinions, um, can share content just so much easier than they ever could before. So how? And and I guess I'm not just talking about the Oscars here, I'm talking about any any kind of award that holds itself up and says, this is the opinion of the masses. Like, how can it be?
0: I I think those are all really great points. And I would say it can't be. And <laughs> it, like, they can say it as much as they want. But I think we all have a duty to remember that they can't. <laughs> and we shouldn't let them. We shouldn't mm. let them get away with that. Especially with, like, Hollywood struggling so hard with, connecting to a younger generation, especially with TikTok, and there are such massive cultural things that millions of people are aware of because of TikTok and Instagram and reels and whatnot that Hollywood cannot compete with. Like we have a a second or not a second, but a new cultural sector of celebrities in social media influencers that Hollywood has never had to contend with before. And I think that delegitimizes the Oscars even further, that they have to kind of acknowledge that they can't connect to a whole new sector of culture. And they are yeah. not the ultimate arbiter of screened culture anymore. That maybe was shared with the Emmys. But ultimately, the most important part of the EGOT is the Oscar mm. to a lot of People uh, who are not in the industry, to a lot of their minds, the harder one to get is the Oscar. And it's the more impressive one. That's not my opinion. I've read that many times. But that that kind of cultural power is really slipping for a lot of reasons, as you stated, and even more. And I think Hollywood is going to have to either really figure out what new public perception they want to put out there and figure out how to maintain it, because I don't think awards is the right way to go anymore. Or they're going to have to accept that they are not the most important cultural sector for a large group of Americans anymore.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. And, and, and it kind of brings us round full circle to to the question we raised at the very top of the episode. Are the Oscars still relevant? And kind of preempting what I think your answer is going to be. Um, is, <laughs> is, is there a way that they can be still?
0: Um, I don't think they're still relevant, honestly. I think that I think that they are relevant in the way that they've always been to the elites of if a film gets an Oscar then we're going to make more of that kind of film. I think that that is still the relevance that they have, but with the average person, I don't think they really do have the same cultural power that they once did. If they want to maintain that relevance, I don't know. They're going to have to hire someone more creative and more sympathetic to the Oscars and the Academy than I am, because I don't know how they would do it. <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have an allegiance to the Academy enough to help them puzzle that one out.
1: <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just counter everything we've said. I actually quite love, uh, I love watching the Oscars. I think it's a good show. But I 100% fair. agree with you you know and i and maybe that's it maybe maybe it is just a really expensive annual tv special now you know
0: yeah and like fair enough it's a fun time they make it fun it's a night with all of your favorite stars in the same room it's like the ultimate crossover episode right like you <laughs> love it and that's totally fair you're allowed to love things i just also think it's important that while you are loving them you're aware of the other other kind of connotations and connections and limitations, like all of the kind of contextual information that you can have around the Oscars while you're sitting there enjoying it. There's nothing wrong with enjoyment, but it shouldn't be in a vacuum from all of the positives and negatives contextualizing it.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, <laughs> Make a bold statement right now and say that I think for for that reason alone, I think that the Golden Globes are going to begin to overtake the Oscars in viewership um, and in popularity because I think what they what they realized and and really latched onto probably about fifteen years ago at the time they started bringing in like Ricky Gervais and the Tina Fey mm-hmm. to, to to host is they knew that they had that bias and they yeah. knew they needed to to um, be the first ones to criticized that mm-hmm. and they did they they've they've given um their hosts a platform on their own stage to ridicule the fact that it's like what 150 old white dudes that are voting on this thing mm-hmm. um they're holding that bias right up in front of everyone and saying this is who we are um, but actually do you know what we can put on a good party for everyone and you'll quite enjoy watching it um and we'll, we'll we'll put a good comedian on front and center to host it for you you know they're kind of doing everything that we've just said the Oscars yeah. are still sort of becoming.
0: Yeah, that's a great shout. I agree with that.
1: So yeah, that's yeah. my mic drop moment. I'm afraid.
0: No, it's a hot take, and <laughs> I'm here for it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. So, <laughs> I think. I think. Well, that's it, really, isn't it? The Oscars. The Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars aren't relevant anymore. Um. But you know, that said, um, I, I think the fact that they. have you know, they've been picked up by ITV, which is one of the main broadcasters in the UK, where before mm. it was actually quite hard to watch them and um, without having some sort of cable subscription service. Um does still say a lot about how popular broadcasters think they are, um, which is yeah. baffling to me because viewership is declining at the Oscars.
0: It definitely is. And I think, once again... This is is just my kind of blanket statement, but I think that all of the elites in the entertainment industry, and by elites, I mean executives or people making the actual kind of financial and business decisions, I think they have no idea what the actual world is like, (laughs) or what the (laughs) audience is like, or what people truly want. I think they're extremely disconnected. So we'll see. Maybe ITV will put on a good broadcast and, I don't know, have some good cushioning programming around it, but we'll see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, well, time will tell. And Mm. when this episode goes out, I think you will only have days, if not hours to wait. So uh, if you're listening to this, um, enjoy the Oscars um, and tell us what you think. (laughs) So that about wraps up uh, this conversation this week. Uh, Thank you so much, Vaughn, for joining me. And anyone listening, if you want to find out more, I'll put some useful links in the show notes. um, So check that out. And if anyone wants to connect with you directly, uh, where can they do that, Vaughn?
0: So I am on Twitter, at G Von Joy and on Substack with a newsletter called Review Roulette.
1: Wonderful. And I need to get you back on the podcast sometime to talk about Christmas films. Yes, please. Amazing. Uh, And you can find me uh, on X uh, via This Is The Hef and on LinkedIn. Just search for Liam Heffernan Uh, that's my name. Um, And if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this uh, and give us a follow if you can as well. So all future episodes appear in your feed. Uh, Thank you very much and goodbye.